Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Taha Lokandwala and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Alex Brandreth, Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Brown Shipley. Investors had high hopes for emerging markets in 2018, but far from making strong returns, these have fallen over 11% since the start of the year, with China particularly badly affected. Emma, you've been looking at this. Why have emerging markets fallen so much this year? Well, there have been a number of reasons, Leonora. I mean, I suppose the most high profile is the concerns about trade tensions between the US and China. And that's obviously worried investors in terms of the growth that can be expected from China going forward. On top of that, China has slowed down and generally emerging markets have also slowed down. And Another issue is that the US has basically just been incredibly strong. So we've had a strong dollar and rise in interest rates, which means that investors tend to prefer to hold US assets rather than going into higher risk emerging market assets. And as a result, there's just been a perfect storm of things that have been, you know, putting investors off in emerging markets. Okay, so does this mean investors are right to avoid emerging markets? Um, Well, in some senses, you can understand the nervousness around this asset class, but You could also argue that it's actually a good buying opportunity right now because emerging markets have fallen so drastically um, and compared to developed markets, they're actually 30% cheaper in terms of valuations. So actually, considering their long-term growth potential, if you're looking to add to emerging markets, this could be a good time to do so. Now, you mentioned obviously the cheapness and let's say possible long-term growth potential, but... um Are there any other sort of positive attractions to emerging markets? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the growth story really is the the massive um, consideration because these are markets where lots of people are now becoming middle class. They want to um, have all the trappings that that we do here. That's going to be a story that plays out for a very long time. Um, Consumer growth um, and technology, financials, these are all areas that could do very well as a result of more people just becoming wealthier in these in these um, markets. As well as that, emerging markets are also going to be a greater part of global indices going forward. So there's an argument that investors should have exposure to this area because it's only going to become a bigger part of the investment um, assets in the world. Okay, now emerging markets are actually a very broad area. Um, so, you know, what areas companies um, look like, you know, they offer good opportunities? Well, lots of the people and fund managers I spoke to for this for this article were quite keen on India and Indian equities specifically. These are, tend to be normally quite expensive. They tend to trade at a higher valuation to other emerging markets, but they have actually been caught up quite strongly in the sell-off that we have seen. And so they are now cheaper than they have been for some time. And lots of people like India just because it's got a massively a massive population and it's also a very young population. So the demographics for um, all these young people entering the workforce, increasing um, economic prosperity and also wanting to consume and take the middle class um, lifestyle that we've been talking about, there's massive potential for growth there. Also, India, uh, the country is going through structural reforms with um, the government working to um, bring the 
the economy from the informal sector into more formal sector and also improving their financial system. So there's lots of things going on in India and it's one of the reasons why lots of people are keen on this area. You mentioned that some analysts think the falls in emerging markets equities are overdone but presumably investing in these areas still incurs some risks yeah absolutely um it's never a risk-free area i don't think there's any risk-free mm. area in investment and the thing with emerging markets is as we've seen this year they are still very correlated to how the u.s is doing and if the u.s continues to get stronger then emerging markets could continue to get weaker and there is also this concern about slowing growth, particularly in China, but across the the region, we don't know whether that's a um, you know short term thing or whether that's a sign of of some other issue there. And also politics um, is always volatile. There's, as you said, there's lots of different countries that make up these markets, and there's always a potential for idiosyncratic political political risk as well. Alex, um, do you think the falls in emerging market equities are overdone? Are they cheap for good reason? Uh, it's, it's a very interesting question at the moment because clearly they've they've fallen significantly already and, and the impact from the trade war has actually been pretty minimal in terms of the impact on the economy already. So you'd, you'd expect that they've fallen so far because the anticipation is that the trade war is between the US and China is, is going to escalate from here. Brown Shipley have been slightly more cautious just in equity markets in general recently. There seems to be a lot of uncertainties that are surrounding, whether it be Brexit or the trade war or more recently bond markets moving higher. So because emerging markets tend to be more um, volatile parts of the equity market, we've actually slightly reduced our exposure, uh, just trying to be a bit more cautious in the short term. Okay, that said, um, what would you say are the attractions of investing in emerging markets at the moment? Because you you did say you'd reduce exposure, you didn't say you'd completely eliminated exposure. Yes, we'll always have some exposure within our portfolios um, because, like Emma said, there's some really good businesses out there that we can invest in. Um, and the technology is a big part of these um, the indices. So it's about 20% of emerging markets is actually invested in tech. You're then exposed to a different type of consumer compared to US tech. So we've already touched on kind of China Chinese consumption increasing and that's key and technology is driving that so we're getting exposure to different types of businesses which have got technology bias as well is, is a key part to that uh, demographics uh, is is critical here as well um, the the growth in these nations is still far outstripping the growth that you're seeing in developed markets as well so you, you're tapping into a growing part of the market um, which is a you know it's a nice tailwind to have if you're an investor if you've got um, the, the economic growth behind you as well um, and that's it, really. So they're the key things that we, we like. And we, we still have some exposure to emerging markets, like I say. Mm. I mean, those are obviously um, really strong arguments for investing in emerging market equities. Um, so if you do invest in emerging market equities, what are the main risks you have to be prepared to tolerate? It's the dollar. So the dollar has been driving, we touched on the strength of the US economy, but the dollar has been very strong this year and that's a negative for emerging markets, particularly if they've got their debt dominated in dollars because it means their financing costs are going up. So that's key. Um, more recently, the tariff talk, which kicked off in April, has been the the ongoing risk within emerging markets and that could escalate from here. Um, I think it's already expected that it's 
their tariffs are going to be increasing from January next year and you know that's only on 200 billion at the moment there's talk of Donald Trump going to 500 billion that would be another impact on both um, the ec- economic growth and the stock market because uncertainties would build and political risk you can't get away from political risk within emerging markets and you've seen um, some examples like this year with regards to Turkey for example um, or Russia or Brazil have clearly been in the headlines more recently with regards to this as well. Hmm. I mean, in view of this, what kind of investor should you be if um, you, you know, you put your money into an emerging market fund? So at the moment, um, we we have exposure to emerging markets through two funds. So uh, we've got the Polar Capital Emerging Market Income Fund, which is a more defensive um, fund, and that's held up fantastically well in the in the drawdown in emerging markets. That's done very well in that environment. And if you're looking to something with a bit more growth or a bit more of a tech bias, for example, which is what we like, then the Bailey Gifford Emerging Market Growth Fund is is pretty strong there. That's been our, we've been invested with that for a long period of time, and the fund manager's done an excellent job there. Okay, some interesting suggestions. I mean, Emma, which emerging markets funds did the advisors that you speak to suggest? One was Hermes Global Emerging Markets Fund, which is run by Gary Greenberg, and it's actually also an IC Top 100 fund. It's also got quite a lot in tech, um, which is its largest sector, and its largest country is China. So the fund tends to invest in quality companies that it hopes can generate a high return on equity and have good, strong balance sheets and attractive valuations. Thank you, Emma. And um, see this week's big theme for her full list of emerging markets fund suggestions. The number of managers who say they take a sustainable investing approach has grown in recent years, as has the number of so-called sustainable funds. But what exactly this means varies considerably, depending on which manager you speak to. Taha, you've recently spoken to some managers who take a sustainable investment approach. So how do they define the way they invest? Um, so I've been speaking to uh, Peter Michaelis and Simon Clements, and they run the Lion Trust Sustainable Future Range, uh, which um, people may remember used to be the Alliance Trust Investment Sustainable Future Range and every other investors before that. Sustainability is, as, as you said, quite a, a vague term, but what they're looking for are companies and themes i suppose that are gonna the way they define this is going to change the way the economy runs over the long term so that's kind of 10 years plus and they're trying to find companies that profit from these kind of changes structural changes in the economy so things that what they mean by that is you know companies that are going to make uh the world safer and more secure uh companies that are going to make uh resource use more efficient or water use more efficient but things that are profitable at the same time things that are companies that are going to make people healthier and kind of induce a more healthier lifestyle these are the themes that they see changing the way the world works and they're finding companies at the core of that that are going to be profitable and see returns come from these kind of themes as well okay so what would be an example perhaps of a company and uh, the theme that it gives exposure to so they have several ideas that they see developing over time things like you know water management becoming more uh, important affordable health care but they're one of their largest holdings in the the global equity fund so they have a uk european and global equity uh, funds that they manage is energy efficiency and there's a japanese company called daikan uh, and what they do is actually is they they've come up with a, a new system which is patented um of kind of distributing air conditioning through through a, a kind of commercial building. Uh, commercial air conditioning is about, I think uh, Peter said to me, about 20% of all commercial building energy use. So if you find a, a more efficient way of distributing that, and apparently Daikon's products can do this to about 60 to 65% in terms of energy uh, reduction. 
then you know you're you're onto a winner. Um, but this kind of then feeds into the companies they 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 look for, I suppose, as well. In that they're looking for innovative companies that are doing something that no one else can do. Kind of that the whole Terry Smith, uh, Warren Buffett economic moat kind of idea of quality companies that are but are high growth as well. I suppose. Okay, so as well as investing via these themes, um, what other considerations are important when these managers are selecting shares? So. Obviously, they're looking for the the outlook for these companies and how much they're going to grow over a period of time. But with that, they have to match their valuations that they've put on these companies based on their revenue growth over a period of time. And if if the valuations of these companies go through that, they they do sell. So they they look at one year, three year, five year forecast for what these companies should be. And if they go over these valuations, they then then go actually hold on. We need to look at this. They readjust their forecast, and they have a really strong sell discipline. It's actually one of the the core factors to these funds. It's not just buying companies they think they're going to do well they have to be the right value and they have to have the right growth potential at the same time okay now alex a lot of investors focus on the importance of picking good shares um but these managers taha was talking about um really place great importance also on selling shares so how important is it if you're an investor to have a sell discipline one of the most important parts is not to fall in love with a stock and it, that becomes an emotional decision which um, can make you make bad investment decisions. So by not having having a strict sell discipline means that it puts a barrier in the way of you fall, of that falling into that trap. So I think it's very important that you have a, a good sell discipline in place. Okay, so why is it detrimental not to sell when you need to? Um, well, the... the First and the most important is because the share price will be moving against you or the fund price will be moving against you. So you're locking in potentially an investment loss when you're doing that. And clearly that's not a situation that you want to be in when you're investing. So that's the key one. And um, what might be valid reasons for selling a fund or a stock? So one of the keys is management change. So if a fund manager were to leave, then that would cause it to be reviewed. Um, perhaps if their style was starting to drift from um, because the market's moving away from them and they, they change their style to a certain extent, could be another reason for that. Um, another reason is obviously performance. If it's not performing as you'd expect or the business is changing, um, that would be a key reason. Okay, thank you, Alex. Some really helpful suggestions. And also see this week's issue or the website for Taha's full interview with Peter Michaelis and Simon Clements. Last year, high-profile smaller companies managers Paul Marriage and John Warren left asset manager Schroeder's to set up their own company, Telworth Investments, and they now plan to launch a fund. Emma, can you tell us more? Yes, so the fund's going to be called LF Telworth UK Smaller Companies and Mr Marriage and Mr Warren have a very good, strong track record of investing in smaller caps. So the fund is going to be investing in UK listed companies with a market cap of between £50 million and £2 billion and they're aiming to hold about 40 to 60 stocks with the aim of beating the numerous smaller companies index. Okay, so how will this compare to the fund they used to run, Schroeder UK Dynamics Smaller Companies? It's actually going to be following the same strategy as um, the fund they used to run at Schroeder's. And actually, they previously used to run a similar strategy, the same strategy, at Kazanov Capital before Schroeder's. So they have a very long track record of running um, this investment strategy. And during their tenure on the Schroeder's fund, they made 435%. Um, 
compared to 114% for the FTSE small cap index. So basically four times as much, which just goes to show, you know, that the, the strength of their performance. So I imagine that investors could be quite interested to see what this, this new fund is, is going to do. Um, no doubt. So, um, should they put the money into the fund though? It's a good question because in some senses they've moved to a new environment. We're setting up this, their own asset management. But at the same time, the strategy is going to be the same as they've run in previous funds. So I can imagine people would be interested in investing in the fund if they've got a high risk appetite, because obviously smaller companies are riskier than larger companies. But the thing with this fund is that it has an annual management charge of 1%. And that's not actually the total ongoing charge, which is obviously likely to be higher than this. And 1% is quite steep in today's market. So that's something that investors need to weigh up. Alex, when a successful fund manager moves a company and starts a new fund, is it a good idea to invest in it? Um, it depends on the circumstances behind it. So it depends on you know the firm that they've joined and um, what, they're, what they're doing. So if they're going to be following the same investment strategy, uh, it can be because you've got a motivated manager who's potentially in a different environment or a better environment. Um, and you know, in this instance, it's their own asset manager, so they're going to have some skin in the game as well. So they're they're aligning with their clients. Uh, we have done in this in the past. So um, when the Polar UK Value Opportunities uh, Fund was launched, uh, we were quite early adopters of that as well. So when George and Georgina left Mighton to set up that fund, we we went with them, uh, being invested in the Mighton fund in the past. So I think so. It depends on the situation. Though we haven't always done it. It depends on you know looking at where the fund manager is and and how how. how it evolves okay so what are the risks let's say of following a star manager to his new firm so it really depends on how quickly and the take-up of the fund so for example if if you get a lot of investors piling in cash very quickly then it could cause a cash drag on the performance of the fund and they may struggle to get all of that invested particularly in smaller companies where the liquidity might be a little bit weaker um it's also some kind of soft operational things as well, making sure that they've got the right systems in place and things like that work. Um, you, you know, whenever you start a new venture, there's always things that you learn and some teething issues. Um, so that could potentially be a small issue there. But it, for the most important thing is being comfortable with the team and the process being adopted. For me, uh, we at Brown Shipley, we also need to have critical mass. So we need to see a fund that's been up, up and running for a period of time and, and where the assets under management get to a critical level as well. So finally, do you think Paul Marriage and John Warren will be able to replicate their past success with Elif Telworth UK Smaller Companies Fund? As was mentioned, they do have a successful track record. We used to invest in the Casno Fund when it was Casno and then moved to Schroeder's. We actually... Um, sold the fund when uh, they soft closed it though because when you see small cap funds do very well then it can cause capacity issues and other people then become forced sellers which is not what you want to see in a small cap approach Um, so I think they can be successful because they're a good team but time will tell Uh, we're going to wait and see how they get on and see things settle down first before we make a decision Okay, thank you, Alex. Some really helpful points. That brings us to the end of this week's show, but see this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website for more on emerging markets, sustainable investing and fund launches. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. 
any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 